there's a charm about this or there's something that's pulling me in and you get better, you're pulling those initial audience members along for a ride that if you try and be perfect at the beginning, you're depriving your potential fan base of that journey with you. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, I'm excited to be here today with Martin Atkins. He has 40 plus years in the music business, founded the supergroup Pigface, contributed Nine Inch Nails and Ministry during the most celebrated periods. He's also the owner of Invisible Records, the founder of a museum of post-punk industrial music in Chicago, also wrote three books on the music business, including Tour Smart. And so this is a guy who has been around for 40 plus years in the music industry, has seen a thing or two, been a part of many successful projects. And I'm sure a few things you've witnessed change in the past 40 years as it relates to the music business. So I'm really excited to have a conversation with you today and just talk about your experience and kind of the really the, how the landscape has changed and currently what you really see as the biggest waves that are approaching right now with the music industry. To kick things off, I would love to hear you share your story a little bit and how really you made it to this point over the last 40 years. I started playing drums when I was nine years old. And somebody asked me like, ooh, what drew you to the drums? My dad bought me a drum kit. It's just father and son stuff. If he bought me a lawnmower, this would be a landscape gardening <laughs> interview. That's just fathers and sons. And so I, he was absent. He was working really hard to support the family. So in his absence, I would play my drums four or five hours a day. I got pretty good. To the point when I was like 11 or 12, I joined my first band. I was drinking at the age of 11 in the clubs in the north of England and just bouncing around. So as I'm growing as an artist, punk happened, 75, 76 in the UK. And so I was good, but I was also bored with being good. And so I was just right for a band who wanted to say, smash the system, technical ability is bullshit. However, we need a drummer that can play. So hmm. I ended up joining a band with Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols called Public Image Limited. I spent five years in that band. So at, at the age of 20, I was on the front cover of Melody Maker, did a John Peel session, a live TV show called Old Grey Whistle Test. And then six months after that, we were in America doing American Bandstand, meeting Dick Clark. This is 1980. I was blessed and not blessed to have accomplished most things that most musicians would want to do by the time I was like 22. We had a big hit around the world called This Is Not A Love Song. Went to Australia, Japan twice, all over Europe. Just whirlwind stuff. Moved to New York City and then Los Angeles. And then decided to quit the music business because... I wasn't having a very good time and then joined a band called Killing Joke. While I was in Killing Joke, I toured with Ministry during a fairly crazy period with the band Ministry. And while I was on tour with Ministry, I started the supergroup Pigface, which has probably 600 members at this point. <laughs> and it's and it's still and so that that 
thing is still going. My label is still going. We did some pig face dates in 2019. So pig face is my social network. I met Randy Blythe, the singer from Lamb of God. He came out to do a couple of fill-in dates with Pigface and sat on the bus and just said, okay, those last two days were great. I'm not leaving. Deal with it. So he did the remaining 17 shows with us. Danny Carey from Tool, Flea from the Chili Peppers, Trent from Nine Inch. All these crazy people are in Pigface. So I'm still doing it. I'm 63 next week. I've been teaching for almost 20 years. And so I try and combine the real world of actually doing it with, hey, students, come on tour to involve my students in all of it. But I guess the overriding thing that comes to me is I'm just really old. <laughs> and I started doing this when I was young. So, I, you know, I, I've done a lot just because I'm still doing it and I'm old as AF. I can certainly say just from the way that, that you express yourself and from what you're still doing, I think old is, in a lot of cases, it is much, much more of a mindset and your youthful energy can come through. So that's pretty dang awesome. Pig face. So it sounds like you have this super group of all these amazing minds that are coming together to form a collective and being able to tour together. I love that idea. I would, you know, we just got back from our platinum artist retreat in Nashville. And as we had an extra day there with our team leaders at Modern Musician, we were jamming out, we were making some music, and then we're like, oh, that'd be fun if we created a super group. So it's pretty inspiring to see what you've done with Pigface. That's really cool. Here's the, yeah. th here's the thing, though. So mm -hmm. just I was suddenly in your shoes at this platinum camp. Mm -hmm. And the thing about Pigface is there aren't any rules and we mm -hmm. don't rehearse. If we do rehearse, we invite people and it becomes a show. So mm -hmm. the thing that everybody's done removes the stress of us feeling like we're going to do this thing. Here are the five rules. It's got to be perfect. We right. let everybody know we're just, we're winging it, come for the experience. And sometimes it's amazing. Occasionally it's terrible, but then 10 minutes later it isn't. So it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. It's a very cool thing. Yeah, that's a great tip too. It sounds like it's something that's very creative and there's not rules to it. And then that's part of what allows people to express themselves and be creative. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So Martin, I, I know that you're coming from a place where you've achieved you know, some incredible success in your own music career. And then you have this camp of artists as well on Pigface and of a really collective community. And I know that over the past 20 years, you mentioned that you've been teaching, you've been helping other artists with all of this stuff. So I would love to hear from your perspective and experience, what do you say are some of the biggest mistakes or the biggest challenges right now that you see musicians struggling with when they first come to you? This, is, this has always been one but it feels crazier, more OCD, ADD now. It's the pursuit of perfection. And what do they say? Don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. I, I, the good, I don't know. I don't know. Something. But when an artist is coming up, it's all so important that it feels natural to then be like, okay, if it is so important, then I've got to practice more. We've got to tune all the vocals. We've got to, <laughs> but you know, let's try another mix of this song. Next thing you know, you're a year and a half into your first album, which you don't need to make an album anymore, but, and you're working on six different mixes of a song <laughs> because it's so important. And the thing that you're missing is feedback from an audience. And so, Absent that feedback, you don't know what you're doing. You can have 10 songs and you should have 20. But let's say you have 10 songs 
and there's obviously three contenders that you're going to put the extra horns, the sparkle, the polish, the ooh, ooh, ooh. You go and perform those songs and people start walking out. And maybe you perform the two songs, you're like, eh, I don't know if this will even make it on the album. And people start to move closer to the stage. They just like the content, the lyrical delivery, the subject matter, who knows? But so you work on those songs. You don't know. You can't have amazing songs in a vacuum and you're depriving yourself and your audience from the experience of growing with you, right? So when you play to 15 people, some people will leave. Some people will be like, why this? And I don't care that last song was out of tune and the drummer's stumbling. There's a there's something, there's a charm about this or there's something that's pulling me in and you get better. You, you're pulling those initial audience members along for a ride that if you try and be perfect at the beginning, you're depriving your potential fan base of that journey with you. If that makes sense, it's difficult to just get out there. D don't be crap. Don't be disrespectful to yours. Go, oh, we're not tuning the guitar. Who cares? There's only 10. You've got to play to ten, those 10 people as if you're in a stadium. You've got to respect your audience, but don't overthink this stuff. And you'll start to feel songs differently. You'll start to understand yourself and your artistic vibe and let that do its thing. I, I also see that same that same philosophical mistake, a band will say, eh, we're too small to have merchandise. We're going to wait till we get to the, everything's waiting to this point. You might be too small to have 400 shirts drop shipped from the manufacturer, but you're not too small for you to be in your basement learning how to tie dye, spray painting, stenciling, bleaching, stitching, sewing, whatever you want to do and have five shirts at your first show because there are people who maybe just you don't even like your songs, want to support you on this journey and they will buy the stuff that you've made. And so once again, you're creating these bridges with early fans to grow with you and they won't care that there's a thumbprint on the t-shirt or wow this arm is actually hanging off this thrift store shirt that you bought the arm is actually hanging off it's okay i'll fix it or you they just keep it with the arm hanging off because that's a story for three years down the line where you're at this house of blues yeah i bought this shirt at their first show the arm's still hanging off so people so jump in and do it and start this journey as soon as possible does that am i making any sense it, it totally makes sense yeah that, that's so good so it sounds like what you're saying is that one of the biggest mistakes and this is something that has been been around for since you've been making music has been this perfectionism or almost like a sense of fear maybe of really letting yourself be imperfect and putting something out and it causes people to drag their feet or extend to take a year and a half to record an album rather than doing the most important thing, which is putting it out, seeing how people respond, seeing what resonates, and then using that as a clue to be able to tune your guitar as it would be. Super, right. super smart. And I was watching the Shania Twain documentary last night, and she made two of like huge albums before she toured. And she's, oh, crap. 
what have I done? There is now so much pressure on my live show. She did that to herself, but she grew up singing in bars, so she handled it. But I think that absent 20 things that need to be done, people will focus on the two things they think they should be doing, which is getting better at guitar or practicing singing or remixing the song again. And there's lots of things to be busy with to help with the neurosis that is being in a band or being an artist. So good. The follow-up question to that is if one of the biggest mistakes or kind of challenges yeah. is this sense of over-perfectionism and wanting to wait too long to put something out, to quote-unquote ship it, how can someone who you know, might be facing that challenge or facing that struggle right now, how do they overcome that? What do you rec recommend for them to do to you know, be able to get through that perfectionism and actually put themselves out there? It's just to do it. I yeah. Let me just grab my bag. I want to show you something. Sorry. Do I have, oh, here we go. So you want to be in the music business and we are guided by mythology to think about what is success in the music business. Plat a platinum album. I don't even know what that is anymore. So here's this artist we work with. I work with my students. This is a seven inch lathe cut single. They lay, and it's a clear seven inch lathe cut. That's cool. and, and they're expensive because they're made individually. Wow. It's the opposite of trying to sell 5,000. It's a split seven inch. So there's an artist on one side, an artist on the other. So there's two reasons for somebody to buy this seven inch. Hmm. And they put, 20 sleeves together and do this big painting and then split them up and number them and sell them individually. Mm. Their first pressing was 20 units, Tw 20, which you might say, why would you even bother? They sold out. So they did another pressing and they'll sold. Now they're on the third pressing. So they've done something which artists need to do, which is to control their own story. So, now the artist, or I can say on their behalf, if I was trying to impress somebody, I would miss out the fact that they only made 20. And I might say, I'm working with students on this album with this guy called Riddle and Marble Teeth on the other side. It's already on its third pressing. <gasps> and you're going to think, oh, wow, that's probably done thousands then. And I might just let you think that. But we're, we're, we're creating a story. Journalist, blogger, went into a store in Decatur, Illinois, where the band are from, and saw the crazy deep brush strokes of paint on the side. was like, what is this? Picked it up. Once somebody picks something up, they're 60% more likely to buy it. Bought the single, wrote a review that was obnoxious, talking about who would have ever thought there's a record store in Decatur, Illinois. But then he listened to the record and liked it. So by putting the effort into the art, by differentiating, and that's the word, differentiating themselves from the other seven-inch singles in the bin, other artists, by making this rare and precious immediately, they got reviewed, really good review, apart from the stuff about Decatur, a really great review that now they can regurgitate that to other people and make another seven-inch with a different track on it. So even though the quantities are tiny, they're building their fan base. And <clears throat> instead of saying for the next year, because they made, let's say they made a thousand seven inch singles, 
okay, we've still got 968 left. Buy one, get one free. You become like a CVS buy one get one tuesday but now they're on making their next one they can remake this first one but their fans from two months ago got this first single they're looking for the next one whether it's a t-shirt or another single or a cassette tape difficult to do vinyl because of the long turnaround times but we just did a usb cassette there's all kinds of things you can do and now you're creating these relationships with people who will buy your next single, your next T-shirt, and they'll come to your next show having heard these two singles and wearing the T-shirt that they bought from you. And the trajectory, whatever the numbers are, thousands or tens, you're building. And I guess the other part of this is realizing, I say it's seven years to become an overnight sensation. And the sooner you start putting bricks in your Great Wall of China, the sooner you'll have a pile of bricks to stand on and for people to look at and go, what the hell are you doing? All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast so I can tell you about a free special offer that we're doing right now exclusively for our podcast listeners. So if you get a ton of value from the show, but you want to take your music career to the next level, connect with a community of driven musicians and connect with the music mentors directly that we have on this podcast. Or if you just want to know the best way to market your music and grow an audience right now, then this is going to be perfect for you. So right now we're offering a free two-week trial to our music mentor coaching program. And if you sign up in the show notes below, you're going to get access to our entire music mentor content vault for free. The vault's organized into four different content pillars. The first being the music, then the artist, the fans, and last but not least, the business. When you sign up, you'll unlock our best in-depth masterclasses from a network of world-class musicians and industry experts on the most cutting-edge strategies right now for growing your music business. On top of that, you'll get access to our weekly live masterminds where our highest level modern musician coaches teach you exactly what they're doing to make an income and an impact with their music. Then once a month, we're gonna have our Music Mentor Spotlight series. And that's where we're going to bring on some of the world's biggest and best artist coaches and successful musicians to teach you what's working right now. And one of the most amazing parts is that you can get your questions answered live by these top level music mentors. So a lot of the people that you hear right here on the podcast are there live interacting with you personally. So imagine being able to connect with them directly. On top of all that, you'll get access to our private music mentor community. And this is definitely one of my favorite parts of Music Mentor and, and maybe the most valuable is that you're going to have this, this community where you can network with other artists and link up, collaborate, ask questions, get support, and discuss everything related to your music career. So if you're curious and you want to take advantage of the free trial, then go click on the link in the show notes right now and you can sign up for free. Uh, from there, you can check out all of the amazing content, uh, connect with the community, and sign up for the live masterclasses that happen every week. This is a gift for listening to our podcast, supporting the show. Um, so don't miss it out. Go sign up for free now and uh, let's get back to our interview. That's so good. Yeah, there's a ton of good stuff in there. One thing that I want to point back to that, that you had mentioned that I think it's a really important point is that it's better to start smaller and sell out of something than to start with way too many and then have like way over oversupply just a supply and demand and even when it comes to touring and playing shows it's so it feels so much better to play a sold out show to a hundred cap room than to play a show to 250 people to, in a thousand cap room just from that that feeling of it's tight and it's it just feels like a bigger show when you're there and it's connected and it's filled to the brim and that's another really that's a really difficult thing i just say to people always play the smallest venue. 
And I'm also telling myself that because here I am 63 and I, I have an ego. I am a person. And when somebody says to me, when an agent says to me, we just got the offer from Oklahoma city, like 10 grand for this, like 1200 capacity venue. I'm like, yeah, look out Oklahoma. Woo hoo hoo. I guess I am huge. And Oklahoma has finally realized it. And then within an hour, I'm like, Tuesday night in Oklahoma that we're not we're not that will Tuesday night in Chicago 1200 people absolutely okay I don't think we've ever played in Oklahoma City I don't know anybody this is a nightmare what's gonna happen Martin let your rational brain take over from the swaggering brain and get your head on straight so I tell artists play in a phone booth because then, then you can call up your agent or a publicist and go, how was the show last night? You could not move. You could not move in there. There was condensation running down the walls. And I'd be like, oh my goodness. I can lie at will. I've got four kids. I teach students. But if you can't, if you have to tell the truth, always book the smallest venue. There's formulas to do with crowd density. There's a different energy when people are packed together than when they're spread apart. And once again, you can write your own story. You can always go back and play. You can add a second show, second show added. Ooh, that's great because if you have an early show that ends at 10 on a Friday, no one's going home. You'll have, you'll sell out the second show because 50% of the people from the first show will hang around. And then you can get smart with it, have a different opening act, for the second show, then you can sprinkle a little bit of fairy dust on it. Oh my goodness. Our original xylophone player is back from South America. He's joining <laughs> us for the second show. We're doing acoustic, our first album on South American acoustic instruments. So people are like, oh my God, I'm going to both shows. So it looks like you've sold a hundred tickets to each show to 200 people, but really, You've sold tickets to 120 people. 80 of the first show are coming to the second show. And that looks great for an agent who will think you've sold 200 tickets in whatever town. That's just discipline, understanding the story and understanding your own ego and not listening, sometimes not listening to an agent or a manager. It's not your agent's job to carefully nurture your career. It's your agent's job to book the most biggest shows wherever they can. Your manager might work with an agent to dial the venue size down, maybe also dial the ticket price down, which is also important. That's another role of the ego. Is, ooh, $20 ticket. Look out, Atlanta. Woohoo. What? Do you know anybody with $20 extra to, with parking and a t shirt and four or five drinks? Maybe it should be $8. Yeah, really good points. And, and it sounds like the other thing that you noted was how one of the biggest mistakes is waiting for a moment in time where, okay, now I'm big enough. I can start selling merchandise and I can start treating this like a business, but only once I reach this point. And how there's some flawed thinking there that because in order to reach that point, you need to build things from the foundation where you're connecting with your fans. And, you know, if you don't have a profitable business, when you have 
a hundred fans, then you're probably not going to have a profitable business when you have a thousand fans either, because you just haven't gotten the margins in place. You don't have a system going. So that, that's the other thing that you need to learn as an artist. I think traditionally we think like it's the show. When is the show? The show starts when your vehicle arrives at the venue, your first interaction with two people who are still around having lunch, who might stick around or whoever the show starts when your vehicle arrives and it doesn't end till the vehicle leaves and you need to train yourself to yes cleveland woo, we're coming back into sold out tonight we're coming back in two months time and instead of going in the dressing room to decompress it's exhausting for me to talk to people uh, more exhausting than playing drums i just feel the strength but you need to walk off the front of the stage and go straight to the merch booth and put 100%. the merchandise between you and every conversation. So mm. hopefully there's three people that want to talk to you. And while you're talking to one person, the other two people are like picking things up, like looking at them, 60% more likely to buy, grabbing things for you to, that they want you to sign, understanding that you're running your business and wanting to support you. And so when the shows get higher stress, You've trained yourself to the only place you're going. You want to go in the dressing room. You're all sweaty and there's a shower and clean towels by the look of it. You'd never know. But you want to go in the dressing room and you want to punch the guitarist and hug the keyboard player because they saved your ass when they added an extra bar. In. But you've got to get straight off the front of the stage to the merch booth. Similarly, before the show, you're setting up the merch. You're making sure it's in the right place. Because the venue will say, yeah, no, put it in the basement. No, we're putting it by the front door where every single person's going to see it with a light. So you get used to setting that up. And then you grab everybody's guests. When it's pig face, you've got 16 people in the band. It's a nightmare of pieces of paper. Somebody's written very clearly. Somebody's showing you something on their phone. Somebody else has written badly in Sharpie on a bar napkin. You assemble all of this stuff into a cleanly typed guest list. <clears throat> and at first it doesn't seem, why would it be worth doing that? Because there's eight people on the guest list, but this becomes part of your routine. So when it's 60 people, you've, you're already in guest list typing mode or somebody in the band has taken on that role. And now you're less likely to have a problem at the door with the guest list because there isn't 70 pieces of paper. It's this neatly typed list, which you can save, refer back to two years down the line. Did that journalist come and see us then? Has this person been to see us before? Boom, boom. So you're also showing the venue that you're running your business. You're less likely to get effed with the more you present as a professional operation. 100%. Yeah, that's so good. And lots of gold nuggets that were dropping as you were just sharing, like lessons around making sure that you're present at the merch table and like right after the show going, spending time there. There is something about just that, that idea of, because it seems like it's one of the most challenging things for a lot of musicians is making offers or presenting or yeah, it's like selling something essentially. They don't want to come across the wrong way or whatnot. The truth is that the amount, if you don't ever make any offers or if it's never present, if people don't see it, if they don't know it's there, then of course they're like, they're not going to buy anything. You're not going to sell anything. The, 
on the other hand, like you mentioned, if you make it so that people see it repeatedly, even if you're not like yelling at them, like, hey, go buy this, but you're just standing there and they have spare time, they're in proximity, they're picking it up. What do you say? It was a 60% increased chance that they buy it if they pick it up. Super smart. That makes sense too. I know when we were quote unquote tour hacking and we were basically going approaching people waiting in lines for shows and connecting with them and then offering CDs if they liked it and I do remember this was something probably more subconscious or maybe I just noticed that this it worked better if we did this but when we would hand out the CD so everyone could look at it that made a big difference probably about a 60% increase in the amount of people that, that actually got one so that's that's a great tip as well just giving getting it in people's hands so they can play around with it they can experience it super smart awesome let's go a little bit deeper into what do you say are some of the biggest, the things right now that you see that have, are transforming in the music industry and maybe some like opportunities or trending things that you think maybe people are a little bit behind the curve on where almost if we imagine that we're surfers right now and there's, we're trying to see what's the wave that's coming right now with cresting, how can we like gain momentum with that? What you, in your perspective, what are some of those things that people should be paying attention to right now because there's a wave coming and we should catch it? I think the thing that I've seen is that there's always a wave and you've always mm. just missed it. This is one of the advantages of doing this for a while. When I was coming up, everybody was starting their own label, then starting their own studio, pressing vinyl, and then it's CDs, indestructible CDs. It's not indestructible, actually. And then and then his streaming downloads and then streaming and NFTs. And it's everybody's, oh, screw this. It's this. It's, yeah, no, it isn't. The most successful NFTs have a physical component. So to me... It's like the opportunity now is in face-to-face -face, talking to people. The lost art of being physical. It's much easier not to tour. It, oh, gas prices. Let's wait until gas price. No, go on tour now, but think this through. Be strategic. Like gas prices are ridiculous. And I've got spreadsheets so I can type in the mileage, the different vehicles, and you could see what the nightmare is going to be. But what a great time to strategically, if you have a 15-passenger vehicle, find a duo that will tour with you. Like, I know you've got, like, this broken-down vehicle that gets nine miles to the car. Tour with us. We'll share these expenses, and you form these alliances. There's always opportunity in something. Maybe you go crazy and go on a bus tour with three artists on a bus. And maybe it's cheaper doing that than it is with three artists in three vehicles with three trailers. So I, I see people looking for the, what do you call it? The intoxication of global success. And the only way to get there is to start small and succeed locally first. And <clears throat> play to 10 people and be nice to those 10 people and then go and play to 20 somewhere else. And there is a, a, a stamina required. Once again, the Shania Twain documentary is, she's like, those records didn't happen. She was just on morning talk shows, afternoon chat shows, in a limousine, doing in record stores. Like wherever these opportunities are, you can elbow your way to get some attention by being there. And it's, it's the hardest thing. So I tell my students or anybody, get five jobs. You could call them hustles. And they're like, what? Like some of my students have already got four. Like, great. And they hate two of them. Great. At some point, you might be able to replace 
your least favorite, worst paying hustle with this other hustle you've created, like the person who makes, oh, I can't, makes my voodoo dolls for me. You stumble into these things. But whether you are coming up or succeeding, it's 28 hours. A, if you're lucky, it's 28 hours a day of, oh my goodness, at last I can sleep because it's eight hours until the sound check in Atlanta. Oh, you've got a radio phoner with a station in Norway. Mm -hmm. You should be so lucky to be so sleep deprived. So mm -hmm. why not just jump in and have five hustles from the get go mm -hmm. and you could work with another artist. You could do merchandise for another artist. You could develop that skill set. You could learn on the road with another artist. Like I'm never doing that. I will but develop that skill set. There are all kinds of, I had a list, I think, in my book, Band Smart, of side hustles that won't completely derail your ambition. Somebody was working in a used furniture warehouse store, which was populated with all kinds of touring artists. It was a thing that the owner did. There was always somebody on tour, but there was always five people not on tour. And most of the bands rehearsed in the furniture warehouse. It was like, there are situations that are, that are good. They don't always need to be connected. If you're a guitarist, you don't need to sell guitars at Guitar Center. Maybe working on a, in a restaurant gets you free food. It gets you the ability for when a national touring act comes through, you say, hey, contact somebody on Facebook. I work at this seafood restaurant. Does anybody like seafood? You want me? I'd love to stop by with some poor boy sandwiches. And oh, suddenly you're interacting with national touring artists because you've rolled up your sleeves and took a side hustle in a restaurant. Mm. I, I, did a, I did a thing. I did a consult for a band in LA. And they were rehearsing every day. <laughs> like for in their own rehearsal space because they had to have their own rehearsal space so everything was right and i'm like here's and i did this plan for them there's six people in the band i'm like why don't you share your rehearsal space with another band they were like outraged and they're like but they didn't know what they would do with this time that i was giving them back i'm like i called the supermarket and they have jobs 15 $12 an hour, I think at the time, stocking shelves, four hour shifts overnight. And I'm like, six months from now, I showed them they would have almost 20 grand in their band fund where they could buy a vehicle that would forever change their touring profile or press up vinyl or a little bit of both. <laughs> they were outraged. They like begrudgingly took my printed up consult and yeah but that's what it takes it's like people say all the time you've got to look outside the box you do you find these other hustles and other people you can help other people you can work with and that creates some momentum for you absolutely yeah. there's a lot of wisdom in there and i remember with paradise fears with our band when we first started out we did exactly that like i remember working at hy-vee a grocery store locally and we all got hourly jobs we stocked shelves and we saved up money to record our first album it's it, there, there's a lot of truth in that and one thing that i want to point out that you mentioned and this is something that i found with a lot of people who when you develop mastery in any skill set or any industry it seems like there's this shift in focus to 
really like the fundamentals of success and what's truly important and a little bit of a not, not that there's not an appreciation for kind of like the tactics or the new things of today the things like because there are always new waves right there's new waves that are coming but you've been around for long enough to see oh yeah there's waves that come all the time <laughs> and the most important thing isn't necessarily that you have to catch this one wave it's that you learn how to swim in the water and you're willing to like do the work and you're willing to and you can keep trying to catch the waves and pay attention and the one like the water in this ocean of your music industry is what you talked about. It's about building relationships and connections and that, that face-to-face connection that you keep pointing back to. The fact that this is what that's kind of what you bring things back to, I think is a great indicator of your experience and of kind of like your mastery in in this realm. That the tactics, the strategies, the stuff is great and sure, like it's important, but it changes all the time. <laughs> like CDs, but, vinyls, well, NFTs. So yeah. I have a strategy that works all the time. It's just mm. called do the opposite. Do <laughs> the opposite. So whatever is going on, you just need to be doing the opposite of that. Because by the time you get a huge digital screen on stage, I've seen it's happened to me at a show. There's six bands, every one of them to differing degrees of effectiveness have got their onstage videos or just a logo. By the time you've seen five bands with this digital stuff, you're completely desensitized to it. If somebody were to like turn it off and walk on stage with candles, you'd be like, oh, candles, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> and he's doing the shadows and oh, and he blew on the candle <laughs> he, when he said, oh, and the candle blew out and it was darkness. Or if everybody's coming out with candles, fantastic. Digital screen, bah. So uh, Kevin Lyman told me, he, he invented the Warp Tour. He started booking shows in California at ski resorts. I'm like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Out of season. Mm. I'm like, what? There's no competition. And people were starved for entertainment. So Mm. even his mediocre shows, people were just like, yeah, because for (laughs) mediocre bands, when you haven't seen a band for two months, so context is important. Don't, and you just take that philosophy and run with it. So you mm. don't go to New York City. Don't play mm. in New York. Just don't play there. Because everybody just saw Elton John naked with free lobsters. And that was just, that was yesterday afternoon. There's so much going on. Everybody's so busy. Go somewhere where people aren't busy. Be yeah. great on a Tuesday. It doesn't always have to be a Friday. Absolutely. Yeah, that's super smart. And what that reminds me of is that concept of the purple cow. Remember, who is the author who wrote that book? Uh, Seth Godin. Seth Godin, but, but exactly what you're describing. If you're just blending in with everyone else, then it's no one will really notice. But if you can see, okay, what's the common context that everyone's doing this, and then you do the opposite, so you're a purple cow. If you're driving down the street and you see this herd of cows and one of them's purple, it sticks out. Like you, you notice it. I did a seven inch single, oh my goodness, 15 years ago, Scratch and Sniff Blueberry. It's just a, Whoa. once you can screen print, it's the same thing. Blueberry scented ink and it dries and it scratches it. And so it just changes the conversation. What does it sound like? It's blueberry. End of story. It scratches it. Oh, you don't have to ask somebody to buy it. It's scratch and sniff blueberry. Oh my goodness. The music can't be terrible, but it doesn't have to be amazing because it's in a scratch and sniff blueberry sleeve. That's awesome. I love that idea. Cool. So Martin, so along this lines of the line of conversation of 
there's different tactics and strategies, and those are important. And one of them is you just described being different by doing things that are out of the box, being creative, scratch and sniff. But then there's also some of those things that are foundational, that's like part of the core strategy that they don't change. I would love to hear your take on what are some of those things, or what would you recommend as something that hasn't changed in the past 40 years that you've been doing this successfully? What are some of those things that it's as different CD, vinyl, NFTs, all these things that come and gone. What's the thing that maintains current that every band needs to do if they want to be successful? Well, you have to differentiate yourself, right? You, you just, whatever is going on, you either need to be the number one thing in that, which you're not going to be because somebody got the technology early, whatever, but you need to differentiate yourself. So where everybody has digital screens, my band has chicken wire and Christmas lights which I buy the day after Christmas for nothing. And we had spelled out S-H-I-T, this huge, it's like Kiss, except it's not Kiss. It's my band, Pigface, and this eight foot high word behind us. It's funny and it didn't cost much money. But so you need to always think about that. Your music, your lyrics, how are you differentiating everything? What, how are you combining things? two bass players and a drummer, three guitarists and a drum machine. Nobody uses horn sections anymore. And I understand why they sound, sound amazing. It's three more people on tour. Okay, maybe there's something there. People convince themselves, I've got some samples on my keyboard. That's not a horn section. There's a vibe, right? Understand how you can differentiate yourself. Once you're doing all of that, you need the work ethic, the 28 hour a day work ethic. But then you also, one of the things that that does, the, the stocking shelves does, the, is it, it humbles you, as you should be. We're all just working stiffs, trying to do this and gain skills, pay the bills, do the things that are important. So once you walk in other people's shoes and you can understand like the price of our ticket in Oklahoma, that's two hours working at my fast food job. That if this is our audience, if I am our audience, if people like me, our audience, I think that's too much. Or maybe it, it makes you realize we should be free for educators or free for anybody with a fast food job or whatever it is. That all of these activities inform the direction you take and the person that you are. And that's what people latch on to. The songs can't be shit. But you also cannot be an asshole and you need to be humble. And that's another mistake that you see a lot. And I think I'm still very shy, but people who succeeded and you, you want to emulate what they do, whether it's a stage move or a crazy microphone thing, with, you know. And I think some of us started to emulate assholes in the 80s and that became a thing. And the audience became an imposition. And I think management would encourage that divide, the mystique, which separated you from the audience. So I think it's our job to connect with the audience and be humble. And, and then you'll see the next thing coming down the line. We resisted the VIP ticketing. I think it's common for artists who came up when I did through punk to have this common man feel. So naturally VIP ticketing becomes a question mark. Who are we? Are we VIPs? But when you embrace that, you can provide a service to some people who have got bags of money 
to spend on an experience. But the one of the things, one of the ways we justify that is that enables us as our audience ages out, as we age out, to offer free tickets to anybody who's undergoing hardship, medical difficulties, whatever. We can gleefully take that money from the VIP stuff and offer free tickets for people who were at that first show 25 years ago, 91, longer, who were at those first shows, who did support us, who made the difference, and now we can make a difference for them. So it's by being involved in this stuff that you can see where the trends are going and what's coming next. And I guess that's one of the things that led me to open my museum is like, I saw the lineup for something called Hellfest in France. And it was like my resume. It was Nine Inch Nails, Ministry, Killing Joke. And I think Skinny Puppy, who I produced the Skinny Puppy album. And I'm like, whoa, what a crazy day. And then my second thought was, what a nightmare. Standing in a field for five bands. So that's six hours with change of, what an absolute nightmare. And I thought, I thought that my museum would be more just a different offering for fans of this music who don't want to stand in a field for six hours in France. So, yeah. So cool. Well, hey, Martin, I super appreciate you hopping on here to share your experience and perspective. 40 plus years in the music industry. And and it seems like you're one of those rare mentors who both is speaking from experience and through doing it and putting things into action and also being able to, to transmit that and to create a community and a team around what you're doing and share it with other people. It's just super awesome. So appreciate you, Thank appreciate you. what you're doing. And for uh, anyone who's listening or watching this right now, who'd like to learn more or connect deeper with, with what you offer, could you share where they can go to connect? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. It's pretty good. I'm at Martin, M-A-R-T-4-N on Twitter. I tweet every day. I'm on Instagram as flowers fight for sunshine. I know I'm supposed to, all my handles are supposed to be the same, but they're not. I'm always posting on Insta. And then if you go to Insta and look at my bio, you can see my link tree, which has events and all kinds of stuff, anything that we have going on. Awesome. Cool. Like always, we'll put all the links and everything in the show notes for easy access. And yeah, Martin, thanks again. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here today. Thanks. It was nice to talk to you. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guests today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take the music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.